Welcome to the Codcast, brought to you by our sponsor, the MBTA's Perk Program. I'm Bruce Moll of Commonwealth Magazine. I'm joined today by three guests. Two are newcomers to Beacon Hill, Representative Maria Robinson of Framingham and Representative Patrick Kearney of Situate. Both are Democrats. And the third is George Backrack, a longtime Democratic political pundit who previously served three terms in the state Senate. We're going to be talking about the power structure on Beacon Hill. But first, I'd like to learn a little bit more about our new lawmakers. Representative Robinson, let's start with you. You're an energy expert with a degree in chemical engineering from MIT and a master's in energy law from the University of Tulsa. What brings you to the State House? Thanks so much, Bruce, for having us. Um, I'm at the State House because I think all kinds of people um, with all kinds of backgrounds should be serving in public government. I think it's incredibly important for everyone to have some sort of public service at any point in time in their lives. Um, both my parents were public servants. My father was a letter carrier for 37 years, and my mother was a social worker, and I've always been drawn to it. Um, and this was an incredible opportunity to run. I ran in a write-in race um, upon the passing of our former state representative, Chris Walsh, um, out in Framingham. Representative Kearney, you're a graduate of the Mass Maritime Academy, a licensed certified Coast Guard captain, and you're just 23. What brought you to the State House? Well, thank you, first of all, for, for having us. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be up on the Hill. My state representative in the middle of his term left to go be Senator Markey's state director. And uh, upon graduation of Massachusetts Maritime Academy, I took a commission as an officer in the United States Navy Reserve. Um, I'm a strong believer in public service. And when I saw this opportunity uh, to get involved um, to help you know, serve and still serving um, the country and the Commonwealth, but uh, really was really looking forward to the opportunity to kind of having uh, the opportunity to serve my community a little bit more up on Beacon Hill. So I took a look at some of the press coverage of your campaigns and didn't see a whole lot of discussion in those stories, per se, about um, the House, with the, the chamber that you're entering and the power structure there. Was it an issue in the campaign? And if so, what made it an issue when you, when you on the first day of, of, your, of the session? We're going to get to that in a minute, but I just want to hear about in the campaigns. Was it an issue? So I was part of a group of women um, who signed what was known as the Transparency Pledge, um, I believe, uh, spearheaded by my dear friend, Senator Becca Rausch. And we knew that we wanted more transparency and, and accountability um, particularly in the House, frankly, um, and having more roll call votes and votes on the record, learning about what happens in committee. And we're really committed to making sure that um, there is a, a slightly different structure and a, a culture change in the House. Um, but and frankly, it's not something that my constituents wanted to talk about as much as fixing Route 9. Um. <laughs> right. How about you, Representative? Uh, kind of a similar story. I ran a race uh, as kind of someone that, um, you know, was more of a, a political outsider than a political insider. I was running against a legislative aide uh, on the Hill, and I, you know, um, started talking about a lot of the issues that we're facing down in the 4th Plymouth. Uh, the big one's climate change, um, you know, with in 2018 with the, the Me Too movement, how um, certain things are conduct, you know, how certain things are um, taken care of in the House. Um, uh, how certain people conduct themselves um, 
other issues of the education uh, funding formula, us not doing enough uh, to fully fund our public education system. So in a very broad sense, um, how things are run by the current power structure up there um, was a topic of the campaign, but not wasn't specifically an issue. It was more so um, how the broad issues that affect my constituents are being addressed by the uh, by the power structure as a whole on Beacon Hill. Yet last week, uh, when the House Democrats got together in caucus, um, Representative Robinson, you stood up and made a motion. Uh, tell us what that motion would would have done. It didn't pass, uh, but what would the motion? <laughs> what would the motion have done, and and where did it come from? I understand you both worked on it. Uh, t- tell a little bit about the history of it. Sure. So one of the things that we have been looking at, Representative Kearney and myself, um, have been looking at rules in general and how. The rules of the House really impact everything about the structure. Um, And we looked at both the rules of the session, but then uh, managed to get our hands on the copy of the 1983 caucus rules of the Democratic caucus of the House. Uh, To be clear, those were passed before either of us were born (laughs) um, and have not been amended since. And the caucus rules, now mind you, this is in the Democratic caucus, typically not open to the public. The session the other day was open to the public and to the press. Um, and, and it specifically states that the Speaker of the House is to be elected via a roll call vote. We didn't actually do that, uh, incidentally, the other day on January 2nd to do it via a roll call vote. We did it by a voice, voice vote, which um, I struggle with, uh, of taking voice votes over roll call votes in general. Um, But my motion was to change uh, the language from asking for a roll call vote where people would have to raise their hands and publicly say within the caucus who they were voting for uh, to be a private ballot where you would just vote presumably on paper. Um, Is this in the caucus or up on the House floor? So this would be just in the caucus, Caucus. not on the House floor. On the House floor, you'd still have the opportunity to vote publicly and state precisely for whom you're voting. But to me, what I struggle with um, is that there seems to be so much division over speaker fights. I've spoken with dozens of state reps, former state reps, everyone who still carries all of these, this baggage um, about previous speaker fights that have happened, again, you know, People talk about the Finneran fight. I was in third grade when the Finneran fight happened. If I held a grudge from third grade, people would think that I was crazy. And yet there's still a lot of conversation about that happening in the House. And I I was thinking going into this that um, by having a private ballot, we might be able to avoid some of those divisions that happened in the House over these difficult speaker fights. Um, Yeah, so... um I first of all want to thank Maria for getting up in caucus and having the courage to do so. Uh, as a freshman rep, it's not always easy. Um, you know, it's certainly, um, I, I hear a lot, you know, as a freshman rep, you just got to kind of learn the ropes, keep your head down, don't say anything. And, uh, you know, I admire her courage of standing up and I wanted to show my support for the amendment uh, to the caucus rules. It was actually, as I, you do reading on it, it was. Um, actually first here in Massachusetts where uh, it's known as a Massachusetts ballot how we vote today. Um, It was proposed by Richard Henry Danner in 1888. Um, We vote for ourselves by secret ballot, Uh, our representatives, our leaders. Uh, We vote for President of the United States by secret ballot. Um, And I think that some of the 
uh, press around it is actually um, it makes it sound secretive saying secret ballot is just private ballot. And the arguments against it all came on transparency. But the fact is the floor vote that 10 minutes later we're about to take is going to be public on the floor. So there's nothing that is um, not transparent about it. And if the votes, if we have a nominee in caucus and the Democrats want to vote for that nominee on the floor, that's great. If um, the we have a nominee uh, out of caucus and everyone wants to still vote for their candidates publicly, the number of votes taken by roll call in caucus should apt, add up to the number of votes taken on the floor. And you'll know that all your representatives voted exactly how they voted in caucus. Uh, if they don't add up, you know that some representatives aren't telling the truth. So uh, there's no reason why there should not be a private ballot in caucus, and it would eliminate some of the, um, the punishment, the retaliation structure um, in the House, and it would also um, you know, prevent some of these, as, as um, the representative said, some of these grudges that are held over um, decades. Um, and, and it would also, there's, there's a lot of people in the House, you know, she, her, she has experience uh, in climate stuff. You know, I have a lot of experience in, in fisheries and her, you know, having some idea of veteran stuff. Um, there are a lot of talented people in the House who, because of where they are in a particular um, leadership fight, are not utilized uh, to their best ability to help the people of the Commonwealth. George, um, let's bring you into the conversation a little bit. Um, put this in a little broader perspective, if you will. Uh, what do you see going on here? Well, first of all, I, I would like to commend both of these incoming legislators for their courage. Uh, I think they both understand that there's consequences for their actions. Um, you don't do these things without understanding that there's going to be some blowback. And the reason there's blowback is because while service on Beacon Hill is a wonderful opportunity and experience, it's dampened by the complete absence of democracy. And the reason there is no democracy on Beacon Hill is because of the concentration of power. Unlike any other legislative institution in a democracy, power is concentrated into a singular figure in both the House and the Senate, the Senate President and the Speaker. Unlike the United States Congress, for example, in the House and Senate, those leaders appoint all committee chairmen. It's not seniority. It's not merit. It's based on who the Speaker or the Senate President want. That has a lot to do then with your effectiveness and your influence. They also control completely the flow of legislation. If you're a creative young legislator and you've got a wonderful idea on housing, or health care, that bill, no matter how merited, can go nowhere unless the Speaker or the Senate President want it to go someplace. And your salary is affected because all committee chairs and others in the leadership make more money. And of course, a lot of young people need some kind of compensation as well. That much power has a chilling effect on democracy in the legislature. And the question of a roll call vote or not a roll call vote on the speaker, if you had a decentralized power structure where the speaker and the Senate president did not have that much power, then perhaps you could have a roll call vote because the in a decentralized power structure, the Senate president or the speaker could not retaliate. They didn't have the power to do that. But in a centralized power structure, when the speaker or the Senate president can see exactly who voted for them or against them, 
that creates an added chilling effect. Who would vote against the king if the king knew they voted against them? Well, that raises an interesting question. Both of you raised this uh, in, in caucus. Um, and you, Representative Kearney, you, you were praising Representative Robinson for her courage in stepping up to do this. How, how much courage does it take? Are, are you, now you're both freshman uh, lawmakers, so you often, freshmen often buried in the, what is it, the, the basement? The basement or the bullpen. The, the bullpen, right, the bullpen, thank you. Which is in the basement. It, which, is, <laughs> which is in the basement. Um, but it, were, you, were you worried about, What's going to happen to your career up there right up at the get-go by doing this motion? I am perhaps, unlike many other legislators, less concerned about my re-election and more concerned about my effectiveness as a legislator. I have said this from the very beginning. I, I took a 50% pay cut to come into the legislature to be a full-time legislator, and this is my number one priority in making sure that we actually implement small-D democracy in the House is a very big priority for me. Also, we're first-year representatives. My understanding is that we don't get <laughs> many of our bills passed. We don't get many of our budget amendments passed. Um, I know my predecessor felt that pain when he went through a tough budget season and get, didn't get a single amendment passed his first year. And so we don't have a whole lot to lose. You can come visit me in my office that is very likely to be in the sub-basement uh, once we get, get assignments. Mm -hmm. Representative Kearney? I was five days away from going active duty on a three-year uh, FTS deployment with the Navy. was putting in an application to do that. I believe in public service. Um, I think we're all representatives. We represent anywhere between forty-two and 45,000 people. There's 160 of us, and we all got there the same way. Um, you know, the, the, the fact is um, nothing is going to change in the House if someone doesn't ask for it. And... Um, if someone doesn't have the courage to stand up, it's it's how all things have changed throughout the course of time, and it's taken um, the actions of a few to show others that it's okay. Um, but you know, I uh, I look and I see a lot of things that got done in the budget that get wrapped up in the budget. But you do some basic research. You look at you know um, a legislative session from 1985, 1986 under Speaker Kavarian. You're looking at 1,200 hours in formal session and um, you know a bunch of bills that get passed. In the last legislative session it was an all-time low. Uh, you know, in the last legislative session we spent 230 hours in formal session. It was five over 5,000 bills that got filed. Only 500 of them came to a floor vote and only 98 passed. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Time is money. Commuting can be a pain. Save time and money and make your commute a little easier with Perk the new Transit Pass program from the T. With Perk, you get a monthly pass that automatically renews and get savings on your taxes. Ask your employer how they can sign you up. For more info, go to perk.mbta.com. That's perk, with a Q, .mbta.com. We're back with Representative Maria Robinson of Framingham, Representative Patrick Kearney of Situate, and George Backrack. When it comes to, you know, doing our job, uh, I think that we should know where our representatives stand. We should take votes on bills, um, and, and we should make sure that we're doing everything we can to help the people of the Commonwealth. And that's why I, uh, with the way that things are, not enough is being done. A lot is being done. There's been some great progress. I'm not. I'm not saying. Um, I'm not saying that nothing is getting done. We need to do more.
Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, Representative, that the um, the opposition to this uh, proposal was based on transparency. Fake argument, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it was. Um, it was it was an effective argument in a way in that in that in that room, but at the same time it was so ironic sitting there listening to it because uh, anybody who follows the House knows that like during the budget process they all go into a room and set all the amendments in a in a room off the chamber and and, and that's not open to the press right it's not open to the press and then they come out and bang 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 through um, and it just. It just struck me that, uh, and yet, all this—I shouldn't call them the speaker's lieutenants—but there were a number of the speaker's lieutenants speaking against this motion. Was the irony of that uh, strong for for you too? I'm going to try and spin this in a positive way and say that I'm excited that so many committee chairs are committed to transparency. So I'm looking forward to them releasing votes from their committees and also to standing up when I call for roll call votes because they all spoke in support of that. And I'll be pretty disappointed if they go back on what they said in front of everyone on the very first day of session. And is the the motion, does this effort, it sounds like you're pretty, both are pretty committed to this idea. Is the motion the start and end of it for this session, or or what else would you see coming, or how else will you try and accomplish change? Well, for me, when you look at change, when it has anything to do with um, any issue, um, if it doesn't happen, you don't let it go. Um, so we got to keep pushing for education reform. We got to keep pushing for health care reform. We need more aggressive uh, climate change um, initiatives. And this is something that um, is not going to change, um, is not going to change the culture of the House until the rules get changed. Um, I understand the arguments that they make about transparency, uh, but it's how we elect leaders everywhere. It's how the United States Congress elects their speaker. Um, and the thing that I think is also getting lost is we knew that the Speaker DeLeo was going to be our nominee. There was nobody running against him. And he's done a lot of great work for the Commonwealth. It was the, the proposal for the caucus rules was for the next speaker's fight. So it wasn't personal. It had everything to do with respecting the institution, it, respecting how we've done things in the Commonwealth in, in, in a progressive manner. And, um, you know, I think that it's, uh, I think it's something that just needs to change and we can keep pushing for it. The transparency argument is hard to uh, uh, give any real credence to, largely because of the complete, almost complete absence of roll call votes during a legislati legislative session. Most uh, matters are dealt with on a, on a uh, voice vote. And it's very hard, for example, for constituencies on the environment or healthcare, education that are trying to track progress to know where they stand in terms of legislative support if these things are always done without a roll call. They don't know which legislators voted with them or against them. Uh, that's the uh, first problem. If you – the other problem is most legislation is determined not on the main question, but it's determined by procedural votes along the way. And legislators, even with the best intentions, are often bought off, frankly, on the procedural question on amendments that might gut a bill, amendments that might completely alter a bill along the way. And what the leadership will do is I'll come to you and say, look, you can vote your conscience on the main question. But on this amendment here to take out paragraphs 2 through 26, can you be with us on that? 
We'll do it on a voice vote so nobody will really know. Now, the problem for the legislator is the legislator is sitting there saying, you know, I really want to spend my career working on health care. And if I vote with the leadership on this procedural question that the folks in the gallery will never really understand, then maybe I'll get my health care agenda or some of my bills through. I'll have money in the bank. But if I don't vote with them on this procedural question, then the hope of my legislative agenda, my personal agenda on health care is going nowhere. And that's why it's very hard to get even good legislators to go along with the reform effort and to have greater accountability through more roll call votes. The answer to your other question, though, is how do you change this, um, is term limits. I've done a complete 180 on term limits. I fought term limits tooth and nail when I was there. I said we already have term limits. They're called elections. And when the voters decide it's time for you to go, they will vote you out. Doesn't matter. Elections incumbents are entrenched. They've got too much money, too much name recognition. It's very difficult for that to happen. If the speaker, for example, was term limited, then you'd know that even if you took on the speaker or you took on the Senate president, they're not going to be there forever. And we had that for a while. Yes, we had that until this speaker changed the rules again. Now, this is not a, uh, an indictment of this speaker or this Senate president. This is the way the systems worked for a long, long time. Term limits are needed, particularly for the leadership. I would say also for the membership. The argument against term limits on the membership was, well, you know, a lot of us get better as we get older. You know, we've had some teachers and some doctors and some lawyers who actually got better with experience. But in the public domain, staying too long disconnects you from the real world. And power engenders, to some degree, intellectual corruption. And term limits can help with that. Is there, um, uh, in fact, during that caucus, uh, Representative Holmes, who has made no secret of his dislike for the current power structure, uh, mentioned that the um, Speaker DeLeo may be leaving in this term or at the end of this term, or there's an expectation that he's going to be leaving sometime in the near future. Maybe not, but, but there's an expectation about that. Is there a, a, a race for speaker? Do you get a sense coming in that there's already one going on? There probably was one before the getting, getting rid of term limits, but uh, I wasn't around for that. I don't think Marie was around for that. Um, I, uh, we hear as many rumors as you do. Yeah, it's, it's all he everything is hearsay in that building until it happens or it doesn't happen. But um, and Sometimes it's hearsay after it happens. That's right true. But it's, um, you know, we just got a 5.9% pay raise, um, and the constitutional officers just got, I think, an 8.3% pay raise. Right, which applies to leadership. Which apply the constitutional officers and applies to the Speaker of the House and the Senate President, and they're not overlapping. So I think a lot of the rumors about, um, you know, the Speaker leaving in June um, because he will be at his high three for his pension um, have changed because uh, those pay raises are not overlapping and he and the Senate president just got a 14% pay raise. So um, as it goes forward, um, the high three structure with, is on a change of 14% um, makes a big difference. Yeah, but a lot of people also who are close to the speaker have, have told me that they think he wants to serve this whole next term, um, that he enjoys 
doing the job he's in and doesn't want to leave. Now, but I hear a lot of gossip, if you will, about um, just as you said that there might be might be reasons why he would want to leave earlier. And I, um, it's a it's a well. Let me ask it this way: in this on this motion, which was a fairly fairly narrow you know issue in a, in a way, uh, it was a voice vote. It was voted down, and it was pretty clear that the vast majority of the people in that room, the Democrats, were supporting no change in the rules. Um, how much support does this effort have? And, and I, get, I take it from your motion that there was, there's a feeling that if it, there was a secret, there would be more support because people would be free to act. But without that, is, is, is it a pretty narrow group that's willing to stand up and say, you know, let's do this in, you know, in a, in a private way or? So the representative I'm sitting with here now and I have known each other for less than two months. So we're still in the process of getting to know other people and starting to get to a sense of where they stand. Um, I think one of the things that we struggle with, um, not necessarily in caucus, but on the House floor, is the constant suspension of rules um, and figuring out how that impacts the day-to-day operations of the House. Um, And I think this is an area where the House differs from the Senate pretty significantly. And because we can spend all the time in the world creating the best rules, but if they continue to be suspended, then there's nothing we can do to actually enforce that. Um, So I think there's, there are lots of people who have concerns about that and who are looking at some larger rule reform um, for this upcoming session. And I think that that, um, there's been a fair amount of interest in that from people who you may not have heard from on January 2nd. Mm. And is there any effort afoot to limit the the power of incumbency uh, by changing some of the way we, um, how much money you can hold in your campaign account? Do you get any sense that there's any move afoot in that direction as well? I think that stuff is, is more office of campaign finance stuff. Um, I think the focus that we have as representatives is to change how things are done within the House. Um, you know, the rules, as she said, are, are not a bad set of rules, but they haven't been looked at in a while. There's some basic reforms um, that can change um, how things are done on the suspend. You know, what go to the rules if they suspend them all the time? So, um, you know, I think that there is is a movement uh, for, for some rules reform, and uh, we'll see who starts to, uh, I think we've signaled to some people that it's okay to speak up and, and, and have courage. Um, and it's nothing personal, but it's just out of respect for the institution, out of respect for our constituents. And uh, I think that when you go back to your districts uh, and you show people that you're committed to doing work for them, um, you will be protected as an incumbent because you're showing them, you're spending time with them, you're listening to their concerns, and you're showing them that, that you're working really hard to do everything you can um, to make sure they know where you're at on every issue. And if everything's transparent, if everything, um, if roll call votes are taken, if, if, if bills are voted on, your constituents will know where you stand on the issues. And um, with, with social media and um, some of the other tools that we have available to us in, in modern ages, 
it's uh, government will be functioning a lot better for the people. I think what surprised me the most was I got a bevy of emails um, from people who did not agree with me on the campaign trail whatsoever, um, commending the actions that I took on January 2nd. So I think our constituents are paying attention. They are listening and they want to see some actual change happen on Beacon Hill. And we'd love, love for the House as an institution to have a better, um, just have a better impression in the public eye. We want, we want people to trust government. We want people to believe in their public servants. And right now that's just not happening. And we, we would love to be able to get back to that point where people can trust the House to, to do the right thing, that the best ideas are coming up to the top and are getting passed. And I think that that, mo- um, if I could speak one quickly, um, I think that that's throughout the nation too. No matter where you stand on the political spectrum, what we've seen in some of the congressional races um, of, you know, um, Alexa- um, Ocasio-Cortez in, in New York, um, Ayanna Presley's win, um, we're seeing people that have beat incumbents that have huge bank accounts um, with with social media and, and some of the other outlets that we have. Ayanna Presley, out of our congressional delegation, has I think 158,000 followers on Instagram, and and her message is out there. And she is doing everything that she can to bring transparency to Federal Hill. And I think that we're trying to do the same up here on Beacon Hill. Well, uh, thank you both for joining us and all the best in this new uh, term that you're entering. And thanks. I want to say publicly thanks to our guests, Representative Maria Robinson of Framingham, Representative Patrick Kearney of Situate, and, as always, George Backrack, the political pundit. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.